Hey there, welcome to Cocktails and Cliteture, the podcast that's all about bringing the heat. It's time to talk about the smuttiest and spiciest books in town. And trust me, we're not holding back anything. I'm your host, Constance, and together we're diving head first into a world of litlicious pleasure where we celebrate the power of our inner goddesses and embrace the magic of our curves. Get ready to slay those pages, ladies, because this ain't your grandma's book club, okay? We're breaking down barriers, smashing stereotypes, and owning our sensuality like nobody's business. It's all about empowerment, upliftment, and unapologetic self-love. We've got the inside scoop you don't want to miss. This is Girl Talk at its finest. So gather your bestie, tune in, and let's go on a wild, sassy, and unapologetic ride together. Welcome back, fellow romance enthusiasts to Cocktails and Cliteture. Today, we have the pleasure of hosting the incredible Saf R. Miller, author of best-selling book, Promises and Pomegranates, and the King's Trace Antihero series. Get ready for a thrilling and captivating conversation as we delve into the depths of desire, emotional complexity, and the allure of dark romance within the pages of Sav's tantalizing books. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Hello, everyone out there. Yay! We're super happy to have you here, Sav. Um, I make sure that all of our authors have an opportunity to choose a very delicious, sexy cocktail, because that's what we're all about here. If we don't have cocktails, you know, we're not cocktails a cliffhanger. So, <laughs> so you chose the Red Hot Lover, uh, the drink that captures the essence of your stories. So tell us why you chose this drink. For me, I chose Red Hot Lover because the name alone... Um, sounded very promises and pomegranate-y. Um, the book is very passionate, very spicy, very hot. And red, I think, is probably the two characters' favorite color. So let's cheers. Yes. A wonderful episode. And yes, delicious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We will go ahead and post that recipe on our IG and on the website. So you'll have a chance, all our lovely audience members, to uh, enjoy what we're drinking today. So, Sam, it's time for a little game. Are you excited? I am very excited. I'm prepared. You're prepared? <laughs> yeah. Okay, good, good, good. So this game for everyone, still kind of new for cocktails and cliteture, but it's called Sip or strip. So this is a rapid fire game where we ask all of our wonderful authors some quick questions to get to know them a little bit better. And um, yeah, so we're either going to take a sip of the drink after each question I ask, or Sam is going to tell us a little tantalizing, sexy little tidbit about herself that we don't know. So it's exciting. I hope she, I want her to get a little tipsy with me, but I want to know some like a little secrets for all this dark romance you got on the pages. So let's go. Okay. Now let's turn up the heat tab and we have 10 questions. So let's go. Slow burn or fiery passion. It feels wrong to start off with the sit. Uh, I personally 
If we're talking book or media wise, then I'm going to go with probably slow burn. The tension in slow burns, it just, it beats honestly for me everything else. So if I had to pick between a slow burn and a fast burn, I definitely prefer the slow burn. Now, romantically in my romantic life, um, I, I'm more of a fast burn because I don't have any patience. So, um, yeah. You know, do you know that TikTok song that's the one margarita and open my legs, blah, 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 whatever. Yes. Yes. I heard that. Is that you? Yeah. I don't even need a margarita for it to be completely honest. Not a full one, maybe half of one. Have you been already sipping some? I had a little bit before. <laughs> I love this. I'm just a little bit. Yeah, so it's time to take a sip. Next question. Naughty text messages or seductive whispers in the air? You know, I'm going to go with text messages. I, I like the separation and the creativity that it gives. So I'm going to go with text messages. Yep. Role play or spontaneous <laughs> exploration? Um spontaneous exploration i'm not a big role player i i like to just like get into it i guess dangerous liaisons or thrilling obsessions Mm, i feel like i have to go with obsessions because that's you know that's what i write about clearly that is my my thing um i'm not a big danger person like i like to be (laughs) i like to know that i'm safe and comfortable so i'm gonna go with thrilling obsessions i think for sure okay Okay. Let's see. So dominant or submissive? I don't know how surprising it's going to be. I guess it's going to depend on how well you know me. Uh, But I'm going to say submissive for sure. I like to be tossed around, told what to do in the context of the bedroom only. I don't like to be told what to do anywhere else. But (laughs) in there, I, yeah, submissive for sure. Yes. All right. Uh, Racy lingerie or birthday suit? Birthday suit. For sure. Naughty fantasies or real life adventures? Probably <laughs> fantasy. Okay. I love it. Characters with dark secrets or twisted past? I have to go with the twisted past because I love a traumatized character. Uh, there's something about the sad boys, you know? We <laughs> got a soft spot for them. I know. Yeah. I got to say, I thought you were going to pick twisted past as well. I love this one. That's next. And I want you to get dirty. Okay. Favorite naughty word? Pussy. For me, cunt. For some reason, and I don't even necessarily, it's really fun to use in a completely derogatory sense for me. (laughs) So like, you know, if someone cuts me off in traffic and that's, I call them a cunt. Okay. Those are my favorites. Thank you for that little nasty tip. I like it. All right. So our last one, teeth grazing or lips claiming ownership. I'm probably going to say lips claiming. Okay. Yeah. All right. That was a fun game. Let's talk a little bit about your books and the spicy themes that surround them. Okay. So first question is going to be in your novels, you dive into the depths of desire and explore the taboo relationships. How do you craft complex characters who navigate the thin line between obsession and love? I think the key phrase in that question really highlights a lot of it is that it's a very thin line between obsession and love. And 
skirting around that line and figuring out where each character falls on either side of it, or if they fall directly in the middle in some cases, is I think really fun for me and really fascinating. So when I'm creating the characters, I like to dive all the way into their minds. And when I'm writing, like I call it method writing. So like method acting where I'm like kind of living and breathing this character's thoughts and their feelings. And it's because I've like filled out these super detailed character sketches that give me every single detail that I could ever possibly need to know or want to know about them. I kind of build everything around that. And I think really diving in and getting to know your characters that way helps create a believable kind of darkness in them and it helps to for me my like personal belief in general is that nothing in life is like black or white or dark and light it's all existing on this big spectrum and I like finding where the characters fall on that spectrum Mm, interesting you know I think method writing is so immersive because you really are living through the characters as you're writing it it's a delicate balance the obsession and love Um, And your books do that very well. Okay, so your writing is known for its sensuality and evocative descriptions. How do you approach writing intimate scenes to create an immersive experience for your readers? How do you ensure that the passion leaps off the pages? So the spice scenes come almost completely naturally to me. They tend to be like what I imagine in my head. Like there's usually one specific scene when I start writing a new book that like drops in my head that I am either starting the book off with because sometimes it's like the pivotal beginning point or sometimes it's what I'm kind of like chasing after. So like desperate to get to that point. And I think the way that I'm able to create the immersiveness is, first of all, just the way that I'm writing in general is that like, I'm literally living through like, I'm like seeing everything that's happening as the characters are like experiencing it. And I think for the readers, I think that helps a lot with kind of placing them inside of the story and not necessarily dragging them out because they're not having to think about anything else because it's literally like watching a movie. And that's how... When I write, that's how I want it to feel. That's how I actively like try to make it feel. And that's also why I write in first person present tense Um, because everything that's happening in the book is like, as I'm writing it, it feels like it's happening like in real time. So that is a part of it. And then also I just want to feel stuff when I'm writing the scenes. So like if I'm writing a spicy scene and it's not doing anything for me and not even necessarily because like a lot of the kinks and stuff that my characters have are not kinks that I have in real life, but I still need it to do something to like, you know, if not, if it's not getting me hot and bothered or if I haven't left the scene part way to like, you know, go take care of myself. I will probably reapproach it and try to rework it until it is giving me those feelings because I want it. And that's the whole point of it. Otherwise, I wouldn't include any sex scenes in my books if they aren't. And that is the purpose that they're serving for me is that they're adding to the experience and they're adding the passion and the feelings and stuff. So, yeah. Yes, I love it. That was going to be my follow-up question, like, so you get a little hot and bothered. You answer that without me even asking. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yes, I think that as a reader, if I can't place myself in the situation, even if I'm reading something that is sexy, it won't turn me on if I don't feel like I'm fully immersed. Like yeah. it's on the page, but I'm not satisfied. I'm not getting anything from it. Um, yeah, you bring it. You bring this so much to the page. I try. <laughs> it it okay. does help that when I wrote the first five books of the Monsters and Muses series, I was voluntarily celibate. So I think that that really added, because <laughs> I was really, truly writing the sex scenes. I don't want to say for me, but like they were a way for me to kind of, I guess, let off steam that I wasn't letting off in my real life. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Interesting. Voluntarily celibate. Huh. That, that my... being because I was in a relationship and I did not want to have sex. <laughs> you are terrible sex. I know, I know. It's fine. I love it. Oh my gosh. Okay. So speaking of that, you know, how do you build the tension to create these like anticipation scenes with your characters? You said you like the slow burn earlier. Like, how do you get there? How do you build those moments so that when things really do happen, it's like this explosive climax that we're, we're having along with the characters. It's all about that first meeting, even if the characters don't actually interact, but like the first sighting, I guess, maybe I should say, and the emotional, because for my characters, at least in the Monsters and Music series, like the first time the men at least see the female love interest in their respective books, it's kind of like something clicks in their brain. And so I play a lot with like the emotions um, that, that accompany that and a lot with like the ceilings of desire and the immediate lust and stuff like that. And then it's also about, um, I think like stolen moments and half, half moments. So like a kiss that maybe almost happened or they get to third base, but they don't actually go all the way yet. And it's like, it's just constant edging. Mm -hmm. And I, and then as you're, as you're doing that, you're also building the emotional connection between the characters. And then you're throwing in like external plot and stuff like that. So it is, it's very much, and I'm not saying that I'm like, you know, perfect at it or anything else like that. But for me, that is what, that is my goal when I'm writing the book is that, by the time they actually get things like things get down and dirty, you are like just so ready for it at that point. Mm -hmm. You're just like, okay, take your clothes off. Just, you know, let's, let's release this tension and <laughs> I've got tension. You've got tension. Let's just do it. <laughs> Give it to me. Oh, yeah. Finally. Like, oh man, the constant edging is like the worst, but it's also the best, right? Because yeah. if you didn't have it, it wouldn't be like building all this anticipation and you're ready for it. And you're like, oh, when is it going to happen? And yeah, like, God, they almost, and then like something interrupts them and then they're like apart again. And you're like, what the hell? And I got to start yeah. this part all over <laughs> again. Like, oh, you know, so it's yeah. good, but it's also like for the reader. But I love that about Slovers though, because I keep yeah. coming back to them. So I'd love to know if you could tell us about a spicy moment in one of your books that left the readers panty soaked, dicks hard, <laughs> like ready to go to pound town after reading this scene that you wrote. 
So probably the most popular scene in any of my books is the theater scene in Pomaces and Pomegranates mm. where Cal and Elena have just had this big argument and she's run off and he chases after her, finds her at the um, opera house that they are watching her sister's ballet recital at. He corners her up in their private box uh, that they're watching the ballet or whatever. And things escalate from there and they get very bloody and dirty and everything else like that. And there's like Ooh. this whole exhibitionist concept. Her family is in the box next to theirs and like they acknowledge that at one point. It's this big emotional, raw, passionate kind of thing that is definitely the most popular scene I heard around the world because it was... It garnered a lot of attention. My mom is constantly asking what happened to me, so I, I never have an answer. <laughs> oh my God. Did Okay, I wasn't going to ask this right now, but does your, you brought it up, so does your mom, has she read like a full novel? Yeah. No. Okay. My, my family so is very, they're very religious. Um, mm. So we don't agree on it, all of that stuff. And... They are aware of what I write and like they're fine with it at this point in time. Um, but yeah, they don't read it. <laughs> I don't think most parents read it. And the ones yeah. that do, I'm always curious as to how they how they can stomach it. If I thought about my parents fucking, I'd be like, ooh, you know, yeah. so <laughs> like your kid real, it's just different. But yeah. Yeah, coming from like a very religious background, sometimes I feel because I've been there too, I feel like the, your fantasies are even more intense because there's this like repression growing up. So when it comes to writing, do you have any challenges finding the balance between the sensual aspects of the story, but then also the emotional depth of the characters? I think they're like the normal challenges in that you want an even amount of both because if you have more sex than you have emotional depth, then it's not really, I mean, it's, you can still technically call it a romance. I'd probably call it like erotic romance. You're focusing more on the sexual relationship mm -hmm. than any emotional counterparts to it. In which case people would probably look at me and say, okay, well, promises and pomegranates, that's like all they do is fuck. Um, which is, you know, that is like a majority that is a big, big part of it. Um, but for them, that was their way of communicating in the first, mm -hmm. like that sex was how Cal and Elena first really connected and realized that they had stuff in common and that it was some, it was a place where they could connect in that way and the emotional stuff does eventually come with it but yeah finding the balance definitely is an art i am constantly reading it back and thinking is there enough relationship stuff in this is there enough emotion are they communicating at all outside of their sexual relationship do they have even if they're not maybe communicating out loud are they thinking about it are they falling in love with this other character i try to balance out with internal dialogue as well as the external dialogue because you know the internal is just as important so yeah you definitely build in that internal dialogue because i think without that it is hard to understand what's going on with the character because sometimes when you read books you're like okay I, the smut was good but you know 
did I believe the story? And it doesn't matter how wild, you know, the story is. It doesn't matter whether or not it makes sense in the world world, doesn't make sense in that world. And does the relationship that's building, is it believable? Now, Sab, it's time for Cocktail Confessions. And this is to get to know the artistry behind how you create all of those wonderful goodies. So let's dive into your writing process. Where do you get your inspiration for these sexy stories? And does art imitate life? Well, I can tell you right now, art does not imitate life um, as much as I would love, <laughs> as much as I would love to have a six foot, two inch um, <laughs> tattooed rock star be obsessed with me. My lotion is safe. There's a whole lotion thing in Vipers and Virtuosos. My lotion is safe in real life. I talked a little bit earlier about how I form the characters with their like super intense character sketches. And for the Monsters and Muses books, the ideas for the stories were inspired by different myths from Greek mythology. So for that series in particular, I kind of had to start with that, like the bones of the myth and then build out word from that and also make it fit into the world that I have created. Mm-hmm. So it was a little more challenging for me to keep it fresh with each new book because six books is a lot for a series. It really yeah. is. That's a lot of talent to be able to continue a story, a whole world, yeah. all these different characters. I, I don't know how you do it. It's amazing. Yeah. It is it, amazing. Yeah. It's so funny because when I started Promises of Pomegranates, I had only planned for three books. But then they just kept like the characters kept popping up out of random corners and they were like, I would like to be a main character as well. And so I'd be like, well, I guess I'm just going to keep going until you let me stop. So yeah, the Monsters and Muses books became kind of challenging in a good way, partly because of the constraints that like a, a an established world and also having to pull in mythology for the world and characters and stuff like that. But also because they became popular right after I wrote Poems of the Pomegranates. So I was balancing kind of wanting to write the books that I wanted to write and needing to write them in order because like I can't force anything. As much as I would love to like do books that follow a specific formula and they hit the market and that's, you know, exactly what they're doing. Not that mine don't hit the market, um, (laughs) but I think that they are not written necessarily to the market. So that was, you know, also a challenge. And yeah, so in that particular case, the inspiration was coming from the mythology and the previously established world. In general, inspiration can strike me literally anywhere and from anything. I get a lot of inspiration from like music, television. I love classic poetry like John Keats, Percy Shelley, William Blake. And yeah, just, you know, everyday life. So yeah, for the, for the spice, I try to make it specific to each character so that it's not repetitive and it's not, you know, just the same thing over and over again. Um, but also I watch a lot of porn. <laughs> that is where a lot of my research comes from is just porn. Also porn games. Por- Wait, what? There's porn games? games? There, there are games. Um, I discovered no. them. Yes. I didn't I know that. I discovered them a couple of years ago and some of them are terrible. Some of them are just so, so bad. Some of them are really, really, really well written, and uh, yeah. So I was, I started playing them, and they're they're fun. So, so wait, like they're like video games? Yep. Oh, 
Oh, interesting. My husband was really into video games. Yeah, I'm gonna look into that. Okay. They're they're not all made equally. So mm -hmm. yeah, they're it's definitely hit and miss, and it's mostly hit or no, it's mostly miss. <laughs> but every once in a while I'll stumble upon one that is really, really like the graphics are great, the the storyline is great. Yeah. So yeah. Yes. Yeah. For a point, I feel like I gotta have a story. At least yeah. for me, it's like I gotta I have to be invested to really be able to like fully go there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that sounds awesome. Now, what if um, your fans had a question and they wanted to know what was your favorite part of writing Monsters and Muses? Well, you know, I really like focusing on sibling relationships in my stories. I think siblings are super important. They're your first friends in most cases. Um, they are, you know, when your parents are gone, you still have the parent or you still have the siblings. Um, I really enjoyed getting to write between the siblings and the Monsters and Music series because Promises and Pomegranates had Elena and then her sister, her one of her younger sisters gets a book, um, is Souls and Sorrows. And then Cal from Promises, his sister is the last book in the series. And then there's two British brothers in the middle there. And so, and then the second book, the main female character from that one is the sister of one of the main male characters from the King's Trace Antiheroes book. So that connected those. And it was just really fun, I think, getting to see just the different sibling dynamics and just all of that. I just, I really love, I love writing all of that. And I love writing the cameos. I love bringing in old characters and letting everyone see what they're doing. You know, it's just really fun. It's really fun. Oh my goodness. That's a lot. Yeah, it's very much. I had to implement a series Bible <laughs> before I wrote Souls and Sorrows in which I had someone go through and like give me all the details that I needed for like all the characters, all their relationships, their what they look like, what they wear, what they sound like, you know, what they smell like, like literally everything. So yeah, it gets to be a lot. So is that but, available or is that just for you? That is just for me because it's chaos. Okay. <laughs> Maybe one day that if I could like get it together and condense it and like maybe pick out not necessarily every little thing because it's very, very tedious because mm. I mean, the girls who did it, they go in and they will find like descriptions and then they'll have that page where it's listed and it's very, very involved. What is one valuable lesson you have learned on your journey as an author that you wish someone would have shared with you earlier? The... Feedback from anyone who you are not specifically asking or paying to give you feedback does not matter. You're not going to be changing your finished published product. So any reviews that you come across, there's nothing that you can really do about them. So I think a lot of people also get hung up on the negative ones, consume too many negative reviews. And if that is what you are intentionally like seeking out, I think it can put you in a really dangerous headspace that makes creating difficult. They matter to yeah. the readers and they matter to people who are wanting to read the book. And to be honest, the readers aren't writing their reviews with the intention of helping me grow my craft either. So right. I think that's important too. So I, I wish that 
at the very beginning, I wish that someone would have told me, you know, just don't even go look. There are places you can go for critique that will help you grow your craft that you don't necessarily need to hinge it all on these reviews of a finished product that you've already pushed out in the world and that people are seeing and that is going to make you like spiral and stuff like that. I don't look at reviews at all anymore. And I stopped Ooh. after Promises of Pomegranates. Okay. I don't, I don't get on Goodreads. I don't look at anything. But I wouldn't have had to... I think curb the habit in the first place. If I went in with that understanding, I think that the reviews are completely 100% for the readers and the people who are potentially going to be your readers. Yeah, I, I could see that. I feel like your books have garnered a lot of like passionate fans, but also like a lot of critical discussions because everyone has something to say, right? About your book, yeah. whether they love it or they hate it, they still have something to say. And because of that, like you said, you can't allow that to dictate how you write or what you write. You know, if it's not for them, it's not for them type of thing. Do you believe as an author, it is important for you to challenge the societal norms? Because that's what is causing often a lot of criticism, right? I do. I don't want to say that it's like an artist's responsibility to push the boundaries or anything like that. But I do think, especially for me growing up in a super, you know, religious household and in a state and town that is just religious in general and that frowns upon you know sexual in nature outside of marriage and stuff like that mm -hmm. for me a lot of writing the spicy romance books has been about deconstructing the values or the thoughts or the societal norms that were pushed upon me at a very young age and discovering myself through that kind of thing so when I'm writing I do want that to be something that other people who have maybe also experienced that kind of upbringing or you know live in that kind of society I do want that to be something that they feel like my books are a place that not only can you feel safe within the pages um, to explore that kind of stuff but I want them to like expect that I'm not gonna be doing the exact same thing every time and I want like I'm comfortable with the exploration of it so yeah I would completely agree you have to be open and create that safe space but at the same time everyone's background and things are different and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're gonna definitely like feel that sense of relatability if they haven't come from that type of background kind of thing. I think part of what you do that's so great is that it sparked discussions about empowerment and about self-discovery and embracing your desires because whether or not you think blood play is or knife play is great or not, if it is for you, then you get to embrace those desires in a safe space. So how do you hope that your work inspires readers to explore those desires and those passions and do it unapologetically saying like, hey, this is me, I own it. I hope that they are seeing these characters who in a lot of instances have grown up in maybe households that encourage sexuality or traditional, you know, livelihoods just in general. I, I want them to see them kind of breaking out of those shells or deconstructing those societal norms by exploring with someone that they care about or with someone that they love and kind of just 
very much taking charge of their own destinies, but also just their own, just sexuality in general, because it's such a, a beautiful, raw, natural thing. And I think that so much of a person can hinge on their acceptance of that part of themselves. So what I'm hoping for when I'm writing these books, because that is what the characters are experiencing, is that they're learning to accept themselves, especially that's a big, big theme, especially in Liars and Liaisons, which is the last book in the series, was with the main female characters that she, you know, she's a virgin. She's not really done anything. She is afraid because she knows who her brother is. Her brother is Cal from Promise of the Pomegranates. And she knows mm -hmm. like rumors about him and he's this dark criminal and stuff like that. Yeah. And she's kind of rejected it because she's afraid of it and she doesn't know she's never explored. And I, it really, like you see her kind of blossom in that sense and learn to accept it and become okay with every side of herself. So it, it's not necessarily like, and I don't want there to be like, you have to sacrifice this part of yourself in order to accept this part of yourself. I don't, I want it to be where people read them and understand that human beings are like these I don't know, like your soul is kind of like a spherical thing where everything works all together. I think that is really important. No matter who you are, what your your gender is or what your background is, like being good with who you are and not living a life where you feel like other people dictate what you can and you can't do um, yeah. or what you read and you shouldn't read and, you know, what you believe. Like we're all so different. Um, so I totally get what you, you were saying with that. So, Sab, we are getting to the section about like, what makes you you? So how did you get here? What is your background? Why did you become an author? And why? Spicy romance. I've been writing since I was eight. And I think the reason that I started writing in the first place was because I moved, my family moved to a new state when I was seven. My parents got divorced, so it was me, my mom, my two sisters, and my stepdad. So I was an eight-year-old navigating a brand new life because I went from living in Pennsylvania to living in Kentucky. So, and I was meeting these new people, and I was very, very, very shy and very anxious. So I have had an anxiety disorder, not even kidding, since I started school. So literally kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And so I could make friends. I, I did have friends and stuff, but I didn't really, I felt, I think, still lonely. And I discovered during this like journaling time that we had in my third grade class that I could build an entire world in my head and just step in there. And like, you know, when I was in there, all the problems that I had in my real life disappeared. Yes. And and then I started really heavily reading after that. And like, just, it just kind of took off from there and never stopped. And in seventh grade, I was writing like actual stories that I, because I was reading a lot of YA and other stuff that like historical romance and stuff that my older sister would bring home. And I would steal from her when she was not around. Um, <laughs> her library had different books than mine. So I started writing fictional stories, like, you know, love stories and stuff like that. I didn't finish a book until 2020. That was the first time that I finished a full length novel. And yeah, I, I got my degree in English with a concentration in creative writing. Um, 
I didn't have any plans to publish when I got the degree. I knew that eventually I wanted to, but I didn't know how to go about it. I didn't know anything about the self-publishing world. And I randomly discovered indie authors um, a few months after I graduated college. And that was, it was my first like foray into actual adult romance. And after that, like after I discovered that, like I could literally just log on to Amazon and publish a book, okay. it was all, you know, history. So that, that is the journey that, oh, wow. so yeah. That's awesome. You know, you never know where life is going to take you. And the fact that you started so, so long ago and like your journey has been, you know, had its bumps and its curves and its turns and all of those things, but you ended up where, you know, you're meant to be and finding out that you could do all of these things on your own as an indie writer. Um, it's eye-opening, right? Like you can just make it happen for yourself. And you did that. And that that's amazing. What do you love most about writing? Oh, boy. Um, you know, it's still that very basic concept of I get to create a world and it's a world where and it's the same thing with reading, right? It's a world where I get to step in and like my problems don't exist. These characters have problems and that's what I get to focus on. I get to solve the problems. I get to create them. Um, it's a very good method of escapism and it's just it's just fun that's awesome okay so what gets you in the mood to write like you know what are you what are you doing when i'm at a certain point in the story i do like to burn a candle that smells like one of the characters um <laughs> so like with promises and pomegranates i burned through i think two different pomegranate candles ah. um and then with Vipers and Virtuosos, I had a peppermint candle going. And I also had one that was a spicy cardamom candle that smelled, that was like literally what he smelled like. Mm -hmm. And um, I listened to a lot of lo-fi beats, mm. um, which I discovered in college. And then like, I have just been obsessed with ever since. So I, uh, yeah, music, sometimes candles. Um, I drink a lot of Diet Coke when I am writing. So yeah, I was going to ask like all of these books they're like oh he smelled like this and oh that scent and like i always wonder like how does that work for me i, I know the more feminine scents because those are what i prefer for my like candle i am obsessed with candles i have so many so i sometimes will just go take one off the shelf and be like okay this you know i've got actually this is the oh cinemissions one right here and it smells like blueberries, but I'll like look at the label and be like, okay, this is what so-and-so would smell like. But for a lot of the men, I have to Google a lot of the time. I'll just look up masculine scents and they'll just give me like, you know, a list of them and I'll go through and be like, okay, this one's a, a musky or this one's mm. spicy. I try to match up that kind of thing with the personalities a lot of the times. So that's, that's how I do it. That's cool. I never, I never thought about that. So that's one of the things that you research then. Speaking of research, so I kind of mentioned a couple of times, like, you know, you have things in your books that have like trigger warnings, you know, with the, the knife play and the butt play and all that stuff. How, how do you come up with that? You know? You know, I've never watched any porn that had any kind of knife play or blood play in it. And uh -huh. I'm curious. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I remember when I was, I think, planning Promises and Pomegranates, and I was just kind of thinking about 
you know, this is a dark book. These characters are dark. And I knew that at some point, for some reason, blood blood was going to be a kink that someone had. And I thought to myself, who better to have a blood kink and to be able to engage in a blood kink safely than a, than a fucking doctor? You know, I, I like it just it clicked yeah. in my head. And it was like, you know, if something happened to go wrong with it, he knows, you know, how to how to manage it. Um, he's going to know the safe ways to do it. He's going to, you know, he's going to understand that, you know, knowing the person's medical history, which they don't talk explicitly about any of that in the book. But the reason that, like, it's so freely done in Promises and Pomegranates is because, one, Elena trusts him and two like he knows everything about her already so it's not like something he needs to concern himself with is like her medical history or health or anything like that Mm -hmm. um so yeah and then from there i just there are a lot of websites that you can research kink on Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they're very very informative very you know strict because they (laughs) Most of the times when you look up stuff that is edge that is considered edge play, like the the knife play and the blood play and stuff like that, they're like, don't don't do that. <laughs> so, and I also try to make it believable, but also you know this is not a guide in any way, shape, <laughs> form. So please don't do what they're doing, and if you do, go look up, go research. <laughs> Because they are not doing it uh, in the safest in the safest way for real life human beings. So, yeah, <laughs> I always find it's funny. Like you think of like about knife play and stuff like in blood play, and I w- initially I was like, "Whoa, it's kind of wild." But then you think of it at the same time, like books about vampires, like that's right. blood play. You know what I mean? Like, it, and it's that the same I thing. fell in love. I love vampires. I still love them. So the, like the Twilight to um, Promises and Pomegranates pipeline is alive and well, and it makes complete sense to me. (laughs) So um, let's see, what's your inspiration for choosing teaser drops? Everybody wants to know, like, what moves you? Because it seems like you like to torture your fans with all of these, like, random drops. And they're like, what is she doing to me? Like, Sap, get it together. I do. I do like torture Um, That is, that is pretty much the entire reason I just randomly will drop. But also, like, I I get excited about things and I want to share the excitement. That is mostly like, and I I try not to do it to where it's like, oh my god, this I'm not getting anything out of it. Like, but I this last week I did drop something that I literally could not tell them anything about. I was like, here it is. I just figured, why not? Um, <laughs> but I do it too to see. I do, I do. And it's, you know, what? it's I, it's fun. Like, you guys, they just make it so easy and so, like, I don't know. I think, I think, I think they like it as much as I do. So that is why I continue to do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do. It's just sometimes you're like you just want more and it just leaves you craving more you're just edginess basically yeah with those drops yep and i don't see that stopping anytime soon because it is very fun for me so 
Oh, God. Oh, my God. I don't know what to do with you. <laughs> Outside of that, your book verse is pretty crazy. Um, and none of us know, like, how you keep track because that map that you posted is our genealogy, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Wow. Yeah. What would you I call was, that? I just call it a family tree. Okay. Until I had the tree, I was not really keeping track that well. So, yeah, I like, I kept track in my head and stuff, but like outside of that, it was like, I was constantly having to go back through books and stuff and be like, oh my God, okay, who's related to who? When was this person born? Who's the, you know, who's the oldest, who's the youngest, blah, blah, blah. Um, And then I was like, okay, people keep asking me for a family, because I kept trying to do it on my own, the family tree. And I'm like, this is, super complicated and yeah. I could never ever get it right so I finally I emailed this girl who has done merch stuff for me before and I was like can you please help me I feel like you are gonna know how to do this right and she did and it was like an immediate <sighs> even as it stands right now it's missing one relationship so mm-hmm. I'm still like see how complicated this is <laughs> it really is like it just it just never ends but it's it's just all um, it is, yeah, and it's very large, and I did not expect initially for it to be that large, but I really yeah. like writing all in the same universe. Um, it's fun, so. Okay, okay. Well, at least we know now. I can't wait to put this out so people can understand, you know, what happens behind the scenes when it comes to this book verse of the artist. Um, and maybe one day they'll get the Bible. All right, so... Well, one of the last questions I have is like, what's next for you? What are some of your upcoming projects? What do you got going on in the near future, Sad? I initially said I was done with the Monsters and Muses world. And then I got inspiration for a sort of second gen, more of just like a spinoff because it's just, it's a series that's focusing on Cal and Elena's kids, their three kids. So the first book in that series is between Cal and Elena's youngest kid, which is their only son, and Alistair and Cora's oldest kid. Um, they're from Arizona Apologies. So it'll be those two. Um, and that book comes out next, July, next June. I'm working on something else that is in the present Monsters and Muses world, so not spinoff related it's the current world as it stands right now that is the one i can't talk about at all like i'm not allowed to say a single thing else about it um other than it exists and i'm having a lot of fun writing it and i just started it like a few days ago and i'm already like three chapters in so i'm very excited um and then i also i haven't fully announced it yet but i've like hinted at i'm writing a dark hockey romance um yes so i don't have a release date on that yet but i'm hoping for it to come out before the spinoff series interested in that i haven't really um done anything hockey wise until this year it's like it's the theme right now so it is and i'm curious i was not gonna do it because it's the big thing right now i was like no i'll just wait i'll i'll catch the tail end of it and then I went and saw Disney on Ice in April, and as I was sitting there, I got hit with an entire, like, three different book ideas for it, and I was like, oh my god, okay, I guess I, you know, I have to go where the muse 
wants me to go. So that's that's where I'm at right now. But I'm very excited about it. I, I love the characters a lot. So I'm very excited that when I am finally able to share details about it, um, I, I can't okay. wait. What a little nugget to drop all of us. Happy yes. coming soon from Savar Miller. So excited. My last one. If you were on a stranded island with any of your characters and all you guys were going to do was fuck because there's no one else there, <laughs> would it be? Oh, God. I don't know. This is, this is a hard question because they're my children. Well, they don't yeah. have them now. <laughs> I, I want. So my initial thing is like, okay, let's be practical because, you know, if we're stranded, who's going to get me off of this island? But, like, I don't want to be stuck with someone that I'm, like, terrified of or anything like that. And some of these characters are, you know, if I met them in real life, I would be scared of them. Um, so I'm going to go with Aiden. And you know why? Because he is a famous rock star. And I feel like if he went missing, the whole world would be over that, right? Like, they, they'd be searching for him like he's that lost sub in the, in the Atlantic Ocean. So you get found. That's why you pick him. Yes. And in the meantime, you know, we can enjoy our, enjoy our time on the island together. Yeah. So mm. island, nice coconuts and all kinds, pomegranates, all kinds yes. of yeah. deliciousness happening there. All righty. Well, thank you so much, Sav, for joining us today here at Cocktails and Cliditure. I'm excited about all of your upcoming projects. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Just a delight to have you here today. We'll see you again soon. Thank you, Sav. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. And that wraps up another episode of Cocktails and Cliditure, where things got steamy and conversations got spicy. If you enjoyed our wild book reviews, author interviews, and irresistible cocktails and wines we sipped on, make sure to subscribe, download, and rate our podcast wherever you listen. Stay connected with us on Instagram and Facebook at Cocktails and Cliditure for all the latest updates, behind-the-scenes fun, and more. And if you'd like to support the show, consider becoming a patron on our Patreon page. Your support helps us keep the naughty conversation flowing. Thanks for joining us on this thrilling journey. And hey, if the world asks you why you're blushing, tell them you're listening to Cocktails and Cliditure the podcast that brings the heat one smutty chapter at a time.